Murder, divorce, drugs. Our courts are full of stories, scary, sad, and hilarious. Most are tales stranger than fiction. These are true law stories. Brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com, the ultimate resource for customer and client video stories. On this True Law Stories, we're going to talk about witches, warlocks, ISIS. We're going to talk about bad faith laws. It is a crazy roller coaster. It's kind of sad. It's kind of fun. It's kind of funny. I've got Brian Lobovic with the Lobovic Law Group. Brian, say hi. Hey. <laughs> and, of course, a True Law Stories is brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com, one of the best ways to grow your business, your practice. Any business is through your client stories. Go to VideoCaseStory.com to learn how we can collect, craft, and deliver your client stories. All right, let's get started. Before we get into that, though, you know, we were talking before the show about culture and building culture and building a law firm because people don't realize, I mean, until they go with the law firm that, you know, lawyers aren't trained to A, run a business and B, to actually give customer service, are they? We heard it at like the very, I don't know how, how old the audience here is, but in the Florida law, when I came out, we had to do this thing called Bridge the Gap. And so it wasn't until Bridge the Gap, which is like a one-day seminar, that they said anything about running a business or doing anything, right? Most of us worked for other people coming out, so that all went in one ear and out the other. I was a government prosecutor, so I didn't care a whit about running a business. I started running a business, and when you start running a business, honestly, like that, that small business model can run so fast that you think you're a great business person. Like You're like, I'm making money, and I'm doing okay, and we're doing okay, but it's just that it's profitable at a small level, but it starts to run ahead of you. And then you get ahead of it. And then, and then you start making bad business decisions. And it's super important. We found this out and it took me 20 years to figure it out, but we found out how important it was to have clarity of purpose and clarity of culture to really get that whole team that you end up building moving in the same direction. Because what you don't realize is that without that clarity, I'll say, okay, charge, we're going over this hill. And I got one guy running that direction and one woman running that direction, two people running backwards, you know, but with that cultural clarity, everybody's rowing in the same direction. And it, it makes it amazing for practicing law, practicing whatever profession, but also if you're true to your, your core values with that cultural clarity, you end up providing a service to human beings that's really important, right? Like the goal is of a business to do something good in the world. And when you get that cultural clarity, you keep that in mind and it makes you focus on the good that you have to do. And that's where the value comes in for people. I think you said something really, really important that most people don't think of. And, you know, I have the garlic marketing show and we talk about business all the time, but I, I, I want to talk about this because it, a lot of people think, that businesses are just about making money, but you said it's to, to do some good in the world. That's not a very common idea, especially these days. It's like you see everything on Instagram, everything's like, here's like make a billion dollars tomorrow, right? Without working. But that's not the truth about real business, is it? You know, I, I've got kids. My kids are 22, 25, and 27. And when they were going through school, they always, you know, kids ask, they're like, what should I do? And, what should I, and, and I said, pick something that you love to do the money will follow. Like you don't have to worry about money if you're figuring out something you love to do. And the thing that you love is almost always something that's good for the world, right? Like if you love animals, 
helping animals can be good for the world. If you love shoes, making shoes or dealing with shoes or selling shoes can be good for the world. Whatever your passion is, get into that, follow that dream and the money will follow. You could make shoelaces and make a gazillion dollars. Yeah, you can you can find it and and you don't necessarily have to make a gazillion dollars, but you can be really, really happy. Honestly, I, I really, I, I feel like whatever level of money you want to make in the world, in whatever you want to do in the world is available to you, right? And people get to pick what they want, especially in this country. I mean, we're very blessed to live in the United States of America, which in my opinion is the greatest country in the world, hands down, and offers opportunity to everyone universally, whether you believe it's equal or equitable, whatever, it's there, the opportunities here. And so we're very fortunate because I feel like we can make our dreams come true here. So that's my, that's my attitude. We're going to run like out of time talking about like cultural clarity and stuff when I know it's like law stories. So no, no, that's fine because I just want to preface this because how does that, how does your culture affect how you practice law and how you enter into these stories? I, I think that it's, it, it's, it's a complete immersion the whole firm, firm-wide, right, is a complete immersion into the mission and the values that we hold as an organization together that we all have come together to agree on. And when you do that and you get people on the same page, you end up being able to create, create this great forward flow, but then people will buck you, right? So for instance, we had some people that were like, we don't really like some of the core values. We, we think that we need different, more, better, whatever core values. And you can talk about it, but the truth is that if you don't like my core values and you don't like where this firm is headed, if you don't like our mission, so our mission is uh, to maximize justice by aggressively fighting for our clients' rights. Every human being in this firm will, will knock that out of the park every single time you ask them. There won't be a word missed, okay? Um, if you're not on that mission, and there's many people not on that mission, many people are on, like I said, the mission, we talked about this earlier, of you know, like you have this level for, you have this level injury, whatever you are, it's this price. You know, shot, if, you had, if you had epidural steroid shots, $40,000. If you had chiropractor treatment, it's $17,000. If you had an ACDF surgery, it's, you know, $450,000, whatever that is. Instead of treating the human being as an individual and maximizing the value of that case for them in the greatest way possible, because that's your value, right? That's your mission. Um, and you'll knock people out of the organization that don't like it. I've had a lot of lawyers who have come in and said, no, I don't want to try that case because you think it's worth 450. I think I can get 250 on it and that's enough that this person should, and I'm like, okay, well, let's talk to the client. I'm going to let them know I think it's worth 450 at trial or more. What do they want to do? And if they want to try the case, we're trying those cases, right? That's our goal. That's our job. You know, like that's our, that's our good in the world, right? And so that's my perception. And we, as an organization, have to be on track for that. And we will self-exclude because of that culture. I, I want to get to these other stories, but I think that this is a crucial thread that we've had on True Law Stories is that when the, you talk about this money for personal injury cases and you say, I'm going to get 450 instead of 250, it's not because you just want $200,000 more and you're greedy, right? There, there's a reason to get that money. 100% true. You're, 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 thank you for making that distinction because it's really important, right? Like every human being has a different injury and every injury creates a different impact on that person. And you can evaluate that and look at that. And one of the things that I find almost, almost incredible, right, is 
the level of damage that this does, and I, I just picked numbers out of a hat. I wasn't like picking it like that's what they were. I'm just, the human injury is so highly valued when you take and you unattach it to numbers that anchor it, which are small in nature to the actual injury. And I'm talking about medical bills, lost wages, all the economic damages are, are pale in comparison to the non-economic damages that happen to a person. And the easiest way to figure that out is this. If I say to you, Ian, what is the most important thing in your life? What's the most important thing you have? There's only two things, family and health. Okay, so how much do I have to give you to take your family away? You, there's, you, billions, if I give you a billion dollars, can I take your wife and kids? No, like everybody's a no, right? So all of this impact, when, when, when people lose their wife and children in an accident, that's an irreparable harm that no amount of money will will suffice, right? And so you attach it to, well, the wife had, you know, $80,000 in medical bills and therefore it's only an 800,000. Like it's terrible, right? You have to judge that human being and get them what they deserve in that case. I can't do more. I can't bring their family back, right? Like I, 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 I'm very upfront with juries about this. We can do nothing but give money. That's an unfortunate fact. I wish that we had a little magic wand that we could go back in time and say, guess what? You get your family back, you get your health back, but that's not what we have. You know, cause I was just talking about this with Mitch Chubb. We just had another Florida personal injury attorney on, and I've talked to this a lot of personal injury attorneys. So why do personal injury attorneys and these types of lawsuits get such a bad name? I think that there's, there's a couple of things that work against our favor. I think number one that works against our favor is that the world of business, including the world of big insurance, which has unlimited funds and incredible access to the public soapbox, you know, news, media, commercials, television programs, paints us in a bad light, right? Like we get painted in a terrible light and they don't get painted in a bad light. They talk about, for instance, we just had tort reform here in Florida, right? And they talked about billboard lawyers. Oh, the billboard lawyers are out there, the billboard lawyers. No one ever says, the billboard insurance companies and the fact that insurance with geckos and cavemen and flow and all that stuff is on TV. They don't get they don't get any bad rap for, you know, selling their wares. They don't get bad raps for, you know, like telling people after they paid their premium dollars. Oh, I'm sorry, you forgot to check the box that said, you know, that five years ago you had a traffic ticket. So therefore, we're canceling your policy, even though you just had an accident and we'll refund you your premium and we're not paying you what we owe you. None of that gets mentioned. You know, so they have unlimited funds and it's hard to fight that propaganda. I think that's number one. And number two, we don't do ourselves any favor a lot. You know, like there's a lot of people out there that are just not that good and not that committed to the concept of getting justice for people. And so they do a lot of scummy things. They run cases and they settle quick and they settle cheap and they take advantage of people that are that are not in a position to to understand what their rights are. And they, they, they hurt people that way. And so there's a lot of people out there in this profession that do that too. Yeah, for sure. I'm not, but I do think, yeah, I, it's just amazing to me, the perception because everyone thinks, you know, they think that suing is bad too. They think they're like, oh, I'm not the type of person that sues. I'm like, but you're the type of person that pays for insurance. And unfortunately insurance gets to keep your money and not give you your benefits because one third of the people, we say this about accident cases in general, by the way, one third of the people are going to sue no matter what. Like you hit my car, I want to sue you because I had a headache for a day, right? Like that's out there. 
that doesn't help my cases at all. I'd rather one third of the people will sue if they're hurt and they're really hurt. So one third of the people are 100% legit and that's what they are. And one third of the people won't sue no matter what happens because they say, I'm not the kind of person that sues. So that's just the market. It is. It's crazy. Uh, it's, it's an amazing dynamic to me because it's like having worked with attorneys for so long, I get so many people call me up and they're like, oh, this happened. Do you think, you know, I got rear-ended and my neck hurts. Do you think I should call an attorney? I'm like, yeah. And here's three attorneys you should call. And then they don't call anyone. And I'm like, why didn't you? It's like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, did you, you know, the insurance company called and, and said that they were going to take care of it. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure they have your best you interest at heart. You know, it's funny. I, I, I had a case where I was going across a, an intersection. A woman was feeding her. I think I may have put this in the thing. Was feeding her. Um, it's the best karma story in my life. It's a lawyer story. But she's feeding uh, uh, baby food to her kid in the backseat. And she wrecks me. Like, she destroys me. Right? And we have this big accident. But fortunately, the only thing that happened to me is giant accident is I cut my head. I had like a little cut on my head. Other than that, I didn't have neck pain. I had a bruise on my leg, but it went away. It was fine, right? Meanwhile, I was driving down the street one time and a woman was smoking a cigarette in a car beside me. It dropped on her lap and she went to grab it and she turned right into me, right? It hit me. I, we, were, we were just pulling away from the stoplight. So it was like, came in and she just like nabbed me. I don't know, maybe it was a 15 mile an hour impact. My neck hurt. For weeks and weeks and weeks, I got therapy and all this stuff. And it was a nothing accident compared to that one. So giant wreck, very little injury, little wreck, like a lot of a lot of long term. I was OK in the end, luckily. But, you know, still, it was just interesting. Like that whole I lived through that, even though I didn't make a claim. I did make a claim in the, the head cut case. I got seven thousand dollars for the cut on my head. The lady called me and said, you have no other damages but a cut on your head. I said, I'm on TV. It could be a scar on my head. I have to put makeup on it forever. So she's like, all right, we'll settle for something. <laughs> that was a permanent injury. It's crazy too. Like there's certain people that just tend to get in accidents more, aren't there? I mean, like people hit them and they're just, it's drawn to them. It's just, that's I had you a client see. hit, hurt, no UM, no BI. Sorry, I can't help you. Right? Not their fault. Maybe a month later, gets into an accident, hit, hurt. No bodily injury, no UM, calls me. I'm like, again, dude, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Third time, it was like a year later. Like, it was like one, a month, and then a year, a third accident. Hit, hurt, no BI, no UM. I'm like, why are you not getting UM? You are clearly an accident-prone person. You must get UM. Please go get UM. You know, like three accidents in a year, basically. All right, I'm going to do a quick, I mean, this is fun, and I'm going to do, I'm going to be the downer, and I, I want to talk about this ISIS case, because this is crazy, and it's one of the sadder stories that we've had on here, but tell me about the case, and then I want to know what, when you first got the case, and what you were thinking. So, the news hit that this happened, and it would made national news at the time, and it was uh, a boy... There, there were there were boys having a sleepover, so there was a family that had two two boys in it, a, a younger boy and an older boy, and they each had a friend sleeping over. And what was unknown was that the older boy's sleepover friend um, had been converting online into an ISIS terrorist 
and was planning on doing damage here in the United States to some people and then fleeing to Iraq to join Al-Qaeda or, or ISIS or whatever organization was talking to him online. And so he had, he had been talking about this fact that he was a converted Muslim and that he, you know, he was very aggressive about it and that ISIS was, you know, he had told the other boy, but the other boy thought he'll get over it. He's, you know, just talking, he's just talking. His younger brother ended up having a friend sleep over and they were sitting around at night and uh, they were talking about Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? And uh, my client's son said, the Rock is God. And the young, the older boy, who was the alleged ISIS terrorist said, uh, only Allah is God. You can't say that. That's blasphemy. And they said, F Allah, the rock is God. And so he made a decision that night, the older boy did, that he was going to kill everyone in the household except his friend and then convince him to run away to Iraq with him. And so at three o'clock that morning, the mother was downstairs and he had brought a knife with him to the house. And he got the knife out of his bag while everybody was sleeping and he sliced my client's throat. And then the other boy woke up. No, the mother woke up hearing something going on. She was downstairs. She heard something moaning or something. She went to the stairs, walked up the stairs. This boy came out of the room, attacked her with a knife, stabbed her multiple times. She fell down the stairs while he was attacking her. Her younger son woke up. He attacked the boy. The boy stabbed him. He ran to the window and jumped out the window to escape. The boy went to a neighbor's and collapsed saying, call the police, call the police. They called the police. The police came. The boy went back to my client, made sure that he stabbed him and killed him and then woke his friend up saying, we have to get out of here and go to, you know, we got to escape. But it was too late. The police were there by then. So, yeah. So my client got a call the next day that's, you know, and she found this out. So all of that news hit before I ever got involved in the case, obviously. That hit the news. This poor woman was devastated. She was in a fog. Um, she had a husband and a, and a daughter uh, also that was not the father of this boy. So this, the father of this boy and her had what were a previous relationship. And now she was married and had a younger daughter with another man. And so they were all destroyed over this. Um, and I got a call from her neighbor who said, who knew me because, uh, you know, he was a, a car salesman and we had had a good relationship. So he was like, hey, my neighbor just needs help and I know you're a good guy. So can you talk to her? And so we ended up bringing that case in and talking to her for years. Oh, and how, I mean, how does something like that unfold? So it unfolds pretty rapidly because... What ends up happening is that everybody, everybody gets activated very quickly. So, you know, everybody ended up lawyering up within a week, probably. Um, and then the lawyers start talking about what's available and what's not. Until this last Friday, there was a bad faith law in the state of Florida that really pushed the insurance companies to act quickly on things. And so the insurance all acted very quickly on it. We all got together very quickly. Um, and so things happened very fast at first, 
and then there was a target defendant that came to light and that was a big fight and so that ended up taking years so uh, we fought that case for years and years eventually it ended up settling because i think all parties including the mother didn't want to relive it again it took longer than the criminal case the criminal case finally did resolve he was found guilty of these murders and he's been sentenced to multiple life sentences he should not be getting out until he's an old 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 man but they didn't seek the death penalty because he wasn't 18 at the time this happened it was the worst i've been involved in a lot of death cases and a lot of really tragic cases because of the violence and the way this thing happened uh, you know it's not it wasn't a negligence case you know this is this is a murder case and it's so ugly and my client's kid was you know was so innocent in it all getting caught up in it and it was just every part of it was draw was was hard and and of course you know not to blame her but to make matters worse i mean my client really had a hard time through it which i'm not saying it's not understandable it's certainly understandable and all of that but we lived that with her right and so living all of that for years and years and living the the psychotrauma that goes on with that um, and having to work so hard at just honestly keeping her with us, you know, like she was just in a hard place and she worked hard at it and we worked hard with her for a lot of years. Um, it just, it was just a very terrible hard. It was the most drawing difficult case that I've ever been involved in. And that wears on you, doesn't it? It does, yeah. In a, in a way that if you're really fighting for that justice, which I think maybe one of the reasons that people don't always fight, you know, as lawyers, we get calloused. And we're like, whatever, you know, like, yeah, blah, blah, you know, like you, can, you, you have to callous up a little bit so that people come in and they're like, my life is destroyed and my toenail is gone and I don't know what to do. So sometimes you look at the injury and you look at the reaction. It's hard because people have a terrible reaction to what they're going through, but you've seen so much tragedy. You're like, you really don't have it that bad, you know? So we, we have to judge that. But when you get something like this, I mean, right now I'm dealing in a case where, you know, poor guy uh, lost his family in an accident out of the blue. You know, he had a wife and two kids and they disappeared on him in a matter of a second in a car accident. And he woke up three months later in the hospital with no wife or kids. And that is an awful, tragic thing to have happen. So that we deal on that, you know, it's hard. It's, it's really, really hard. But the, the, the good part is that the, the, the mom has come through this and is working really hard. And her goal now in life is to help other people try to live through things like this and to offer, you know, solace and, and peace of mind and the strength to carry on through it. And she's trying to come up with a system to be able to do that. And I think that she recognizes that she's still here for a reason and that she'll make that a productive, good reason in the world. So we're, we're working with her on trying to make that dream come true. That's, I mean, that's great. And like you're talking about, I mean, that's, that's what a good, you know, good company, a good person does is takes care of their client all the way through, not just wham, bam. Thank you. Anyway. So yeah, I don't mean to bit a downer, but that's like the craziest case. The most, the most, one of the most, uh, press oriented case the press every time we went to court every time they went to court every time he was in court whatever it was the press wanted a part of it and you mentioned since i'm in florida and i think a lot of people don't understand what just happened with the bad faith laws can you explain what just changed 
there was a, a House bill. House Bill 837 was signed by the governor last Friday at, I think, 10.34 a.m., just to show you how attuned I am to that sadness. Uh, and it changed a lot of things in Florida law, like more than we can probably go through here. But in the bad faith arena, Florida had one of the strongest bad faith laws in the nation before last Friday. Um, it was very pro-consumer. And because it was very pro-consumer, insurance companies were afraid of not quickly looking out for their insured, right? Like they knew that if they didn't look out for their insured quickly, that they had the possibility of being put in a position where the damages could be extra contractual. In other words, they might be responsible to pay more than what the insured policy was for, right? So you insure for $100,000, you act in bad faith as the insurance company, you get hit for a $30 million verdict, the next thing you know, the court's making you pay the 30 million. So they hate that. That, that screws up everything in their entire business model because they need actuaries, they need consistency, they need to be able to plan out how they're gonna make money in the future, and this made it hard for them, right? Because um, there was risk. Uh, they, the, the, the new law took that risk out. To have a bad faith claim against an insurance company, there's no surprise to it anymore. The onus is no longer on the insurance company to act in good faith, it's on the person who's hurt to let the insurance company know they expect them to act in good faith first. So you have to put them on notice and you have to give them time and you have to give them a certain number of days. There's no surprises to it. There's just, they can just wait until somebody says you could be in bad faith and then they can act. So it just, it gives them more power and time. Fortunately, I will tell you this, fortunately, there is still a door open to bad faith, which is better than many other states. So Florida still has that hammer. And if you if you do the right thing as the as the plaintiff, as the person representing the plaintiff, and you give the insurance company the amount of time they need to be in bad faith, if they don't do the right thing, then you will have that bad faith door open for you. So it wasn't closed completely. It's not a tragedy, but you just aren't as powerful as you were. Uh, of all the things that they changed in Florida law, that's not the thing that I worry about the most, but it is uh, it is one of the biggest things. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of changes going on. It's crazy. One of the biggest is the one-way attorney's fees, just to let people know that there used to be a one-way attorney's fees in first-party cases. In other words, your insurance, you're suing your insurance for your benefits, right? First party. Like you have this insurance available and you sue for your party, whatever it is. It used to be that if you won your case, the insurance company would pay your attorney's fee. No more. Now you pay your attorney's fee. So when the insurance company says to you, I know you have $50,000 in benefits coming, we're only going to give you 40. And you say, well, I'll get an attorney and lawyer up. They're like, well, go ahead. It'll cost you 20,000 to do that. So you'll only get 30. Better to take our 40. So you just took a $10,000 hit to your policy and you can't do anything about it. So that's the new bad, that's really bad anti-consumer stuff. I agree. So before I get too angry, let's move on to this first case you had that's divorce case. Uh, so when, when I started practicing law, we did door law, which means anything that walked through the door, we would do, right? So everybody knows that. And my wife and I uh, both were prosecutors. I went out for a year. I started practicing. And then she was uh, a prosecutor and she joined National Council, National uh, Center on Compensation Insurance, which is a big company. And she hated it there. And so she left after a year and joined me. So she joins me in, I don't know, June or whatever, or maybe a little bit earlier. 
And uh, our first case together was a divorce case. So we get this divorce case in. It's a young man, super young. You're talking kids, you know, like 20-year-old kids, right? So we're representing this 20-year-old boy who married his 19-year-old sweetheart from high school and they had a kid between them, right? So you got a grandkid, basically, of parents who are in their 40s, you know, early 50s, whatever. But you've got their parents who are really fighting over who's going to have rights to that grandkid, right? And so that's who was paying us. The grandkids were paying us. These kids had nothing, of course. They were barely high school graduates. And we get into this case. We're representing the, 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 fa the father of the child. Um, and we go to a deposition, and we're going to depose the wife. And we're talking to her. And, uh, and she, says, uh, she says, well, you know, I can't really let him have custody of the child because he thinks he's a warlock. And we're like, what do you mean he's a warlock? Yeah, he, he believes he's from outer space, that he has magical powers. You know, he even thinks that he's got a man in a crystal ball that he can release into the world to do evil things to people. And, uh, and he's a part of a coven. And he's, you know, like, yeah, like, like a real, like, witch, like a part of a, like a real, like, dress it up warlock. And he's just sitting there calmly, and she's talking, talking, talking about how it's awful, and he shouldn't do this, and he's evil, and this and that. And my wife and I were like, okay, so uh, we could have known this was coming. Like, our client could have said something to us. We leave. We, we say, okay, so we get some of that out, and we leave, and we go, and we, we take him outside, and we're like, hey, dude, like, what's this about? Because we both were doing everything together. I mean, we had such a good time practicing when we were young because we had nothing else to do. We had the one case. We'd both sit there and, you know. So we, we go and talk to him. He goes, well, yeah, I am. But she's a witch. And her family's a part of the coven, too. And they're this and they're that. And she's this. And she did this. And they did, like, all this terrible, trashy stuff that we didn't know about. Like, we did the whole interview. And I guess they thought, well, we're not going to mention the whole witchy pie thing. And then in the deposition, she throws it out there as if that's going to help her. And, you know, now it comes back at her. And so I come in, you know, for the rest of the deposition. I'm like, you know, I just talked to my client. He says, you're a witch. She goes, well, yeah, of course. I mean, like, all disclosed, all came out. The parents were, everybody was. They were all part of the coven. They were all like witches and warlocks. And they had all this stuff that they believed in, right? Well, we're trying to get this case settled. And they will not settle. And they will not settle because they're intransigent about certain things. And it's getting, you know, we end up setting the case for trial. We get set for trial. And our judge, the judge that we have, was Virginia, you can look it up, Virginia Broom. So we're trying the witch case in front of Judge Broom. And honest to God, when is it set? When is trial starting? October 31, Halloween. That is our trial. So, so I was like, the, the other attorney and I still laugh about this. His name is Alan Crane. You can, you can, anybody can call Alan and ask him. We still, every time we see each other, we laugh. We were on the phone, I don't know, it was probably like 10 o'clock at night on Sunday before trial. And we were hammering out a settlement agreement because we both were pretty sure the apocalypse was going to happen if we tried this case. Like we were like, this is a bad, this is a bad omen. Like we have got to get this thing tried. So that's probably like the funniest case that I've, that I've had. We don't do divorces anymore, but you know, when you're young, you do anything. Yeah, that's crazy. That is crazy. Oh man, these are amazing stories, Brian. Thank you so much for sharing them on True Law Stories. I really appreciate it. That was fun. It's fun to recollect. It's good stuff. I mean, that, I, you, have, you have a cool, you have a cool motif. I like this fun, cool law stories. That's awesome. Thank you for including me. I feel honored that you would even ask. So, I appreciate it.
No, it's it's fun because it's like I know that like so many crazy things happen to attorneys, and you, I mean, it's not stuff you can put on your website, and it's not something you re- really want to market to. But they're amazing stories. I mean, and you know, obviously some, some sad ones, but interesting, and it's been fantastic talking to. You. So, if someone tell us about your practice areas and and how you help people. So, I know you do personal injury. Tell us who you help and where you help, and how someone get in touch with you. All right, so we've got a we've got a relatively I call it a mid-sized practice. Most of my friends have a large practice. Uh, we've got 15 lawyers. We're based in Palm Beach Gardens, but we have offices with attorneys from South Miami Homestead all the way through to Orlando. Uh, we do personal injury, social security disability, workers' compensation, and PIP collections, PIP collections, which is medical collections. We do that nationally. Uh, I've got an office in Boston for that. I'm opening an office in Houston for that because I also own a medical billing company and I do national medical billing for ambulances. Uh, and so we have a lot of collection claims for that. So that's kind of the, the weird wheel in my, in my wheelhouse. Um, but the rest of that is, is that we're about a staff total team of 108 right now. So it's kind of a big team spread across five live offices, one big live office, and then a lot of remote people we've got workers in 22 states i think so we're really spread after covid it's been cool it's i I will tell you that covid was very i mean it's terrible i don't i don't want to belittle what covid did to our community but it was very good for my business model we did a lot of improvements and grew dramatically during that that time period covid was tough and sad but it's not like you took advantage of covid but you pivoted and you did the right thing and you know when times are tough you you change you don't complain about them right do you remember back in 2009, it was like awful, like the world crashed. The truth is, is that I leaned out from that. I got scared. I like shut things down. I like, I like huddled in and I just like, I, I huddled through it. And it was really like four or five years of like not growing and staying at the same thing. And really just, I, I, I leaned out, right? And when this happened, somebody said to me, you leaned out last time, lean into it, go with it, find a way. And that was all the difference. Like we leaned in hard, we bet down hard on what we could do, and it was very successful. That's amazing. I tell people that all the time. It's like, it's when things are tough, that's the biggest opportunities. And everyone that leans out, like you said, they'd miss out on it. And I think that is fantastic advice. Well, Brian, thank you so much. We'll put a link to the website in the show notes. Uh, Where do you spend most of your time on social media? Where can people follow you? So we've got uh, Facebook and Instagram, Lobovic Law Group for Facebook. If you're Hispanic and you want everything in Spanish, my wife has an awesome one. Instagram, Lobovic Abogados, it rocks. I've got a TikTok out there, Brian Lobovic, uh, Warrior for Justice. So we've got anything social. You type my name in social, it's going to pop up. Like uh, L-A-B-O-V-I-C-K. That's our website too, Lobovic.com. So you find me there. You can call or click Lobovic, 866-Lobovic. So it's just... Lobovic is the, the key. I love it. Love it. All right. We'll put a link to all that in the show notes. But Brian, thanks again for being on True Law Stories. Hey, thanks for having me. Take care. Yeah, and thank you all for taking Brian on your journey. It's been Iron Garlic and True Law Stories. True Law Stories has been brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. Testimonials stink. No one wants to watch a testimonial or read a case study. You need video case stories for your business. Go to videocasestory.com to learn more.